Hello and welcome to the latest episode of EG's Office Politics with me, Piers Wayner, the show where we attempt to gaze beyond the oily surface of the Westminster bubble to find out what is really going on in there and how that may affect you, dear listener. As ever, I am joined by my coalition partner, former Housing Minister Mark Prisk, who, we hope, will be able to shed some light on the new, new government, the return of Michael Gove, what to expect from the autumn statement, and whether investment zones will ever see the light of day. Since we last spoke, Mark, um, almost nothing's happened, I think. Is, is that fair to say? I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I think in, in, in the parlance of, of 2022, you're probably right, it's been sort of <laughs> jaw-achingly dull. But I, I think, you know, over the last four weeks, obviously, we've gone from will she, won't she, uh, mm. to yes, she has. But uh, but in terms of government, no, I think um, Rishi Sunak has probably done the wise thing. He's brought uh, a broad range of people into cabinet and into government. He's rewarded some very good, capable people. Um, it's good, for example, to see someone like Kevin Hollenrake, um, mm-hmm. you know, coming in as small business and enterprise minister, somebody who actually has run a small business and knows what to do. There's a novelty. So I think... Um, <laughs> I think that's good. There's some interesting questions around his why he took the decision over the Home Secretary. But I think so far, so good. Um, some talented people, some capable people, some some round pegs in round holes. So, for example, as we'll come on to, it's good to see Michael Gove back in that role of uh, the luck. Um, which sounds like a luxury chocolate, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Yes, I'm, I've ordered several boxes of Deluxe for the, for the <laughs> Christmas. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So there we are. Yes, that, that, that was a, a gentle canter around the, 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 the where I think we are, you know, steady as she goes, fingers crossed. So I think the government um, is on a very difficult path. I think they've got some good people. Um, but the shape of that will be clear overall, although, you know, some of the some of the decisions around who does which job have not been finished yet, as far as I can see. Well, let's let's have a look into that. Let's have a, a proper look at the return of Michael Gove. He's uh, he, he's he's one of those peculiar characters in politics, isn't he? In that he seems to I, I don't know of anybody else who draws completely contradictory responses from the same people. Yes, like I've I've heard from people saying, <laughs> "Oh, Michael Gove. I mean, he's just he's you can't trust him. He's he's such a politician, but he does deliver. You know, he he yeah. you can, people saying that he's he, he's got an amazing grasp of the brief, and then it's yes. I mean, I think uh, he was very much part of the sort of reforming agenda with uh, Cameron and Osborne in mm. 2010. Uh, and at education, uh, not surprisingly, given uh, that Mark, that Mark Cummings, Dominic Cummings, Dominic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dominic Cummings, how could I forget, uh, was you know very much there. So Michael, that those early stages was very much the radical reformer, the person that would uh, throw the table over just to you know get a sense of you know why do we need to do that, how we're we doing this, um, how are we going to make a difference, you know, really wanting to do big re- uh, fundamental reforms. And in some of the cabinet committees, could be really quite. You know, we we there would be a conversation going in one direction. Michael would suddenly throw a, you know, a small a grenade onto the table uh, and see see what what would happen. And you need people like that in government because there is a danger of, um, you know, groupthink. Uh, I think the leadership election where he ended up backing out of supporting Boris and running himself was a period of quite important change in Michael's perspective, sort of perspective and indeed of other people's view of him. Um, I get the impression now that he's very much focused on 
you know, leaving a legacy. He knows that the chances of him being in government in four or five years time are limited. Uh, well, he said he said he wouldn't be returning, didn't he? I mean, his yeah. Well, the, you know, never say before. never. <laughs> exactly. Never, it's... never. But um, I, I, I think Michael has been good in the department because he's challenged some of the cosier aspects of of the industry and the sector. He has made life much more difficult um, for those not willing to pay their fair share in terms mm. of the clothing crisis and so on. And good for him on that. Um, I think he genuinely wants to see reform of and improvements in the private rented sector. Um, clearly, there are challenges around all of that, and there are views on either side. But I, you know, I want to see a better, a bigger and better private rented sector. Uh, that's why I, you know, initiated and supported the creation of Build to Rent ten years exactly. ago. Exactly. I was, I was going to say this because it, that's that's your legacy, really. Yes, isn't it? it is. Yes. There's no. There's, I was hoping for a boulevard and a small statue, but hey. Um, <laughs> well, you would have got one if you were planning minister. You could have done it yourself. Yes, that's true. Mm. I should have. What well, Leslie? What? A, what an idiot! I should have done planning. <laughs> but anyway, um, so I think Michael is passionate in doing that. That's good because it means he understands that yes, home ownership is important. But you also need affordable homes, and you need uh, private rented. So that is encouraging. I think he's reshuffling his team. And although when the sort of general reshuffle, the names were announced, my impression is we may yet and, and uh, listeners may want to check their news feed. But I suspect over the next few days, certainly by the time people hear this, we may have seen a, an adjustment. And who knows, there may be a new housing minister. Well, I mean, it, it's been it's been a long while since we had a new one, hasn't it? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But yes, because it, it, it did seem that, the, you know, our Doctor Who thing last time, I took heart from the fact that um, uh, a former Doctor Who came back. Um, oh, yes. Yes. So well, this is it's, it's all about it's all about big returns, isn't it? I mean, the return of Gove, although interestingly, that the people come back, but not quite as themselves. So we've had Gove coming back, but but um, without the does he still have the radical hand grenade thrower edge or is he now the man of delivery slightly, sort of yes, like all of us I, th I, I think he's less of a hand grenade he does like to challenge and that's good i think he's willing to do the difficult stuff maybe slightly less disruptive mm. um slightly mindful of the fact that actually in the end you've got to take people with you if you're going to get buy-in. Um, so I think he'll focus on devolution of powers and single budgets. I think he'll want to um, be careful in planning reform, uh, but nevertheless push ahead to try and improve it. Uh, I think that leasehold reform and will be Evolution important. as opposed to revolution, do you think? Well, there you no are. Maybe that, maybe that is the difference. It would have been revolution, but now it's devolution. Is there something, because Gove doesn't have a background in in the industry, Mm. Um, you know, he's he's the me as opposed to the you, isn't he? He's a yeah. he's a journalist okay. as opposed yep. to. Yes, that's um, true. Is, is that why? I mean, he seems to have he still seems to look at the industry as though it has particularly deep pockets. I think he's frustrated with the industry for a number of reasons. And I I think you'd be surprised the number of conservative members of parliament, never mind other parties, who for quite a long time thought, you know, their encounters with the industry would be the volume house builders principally. And then A, as a constituency member of parliament, having you know, the, 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 the gradual pressure of, of dealing with developer after developer after developer. And very often then we have that period of terrible standards for uh, development and the snagging lists were just ridiculous. 
And then we had them trying to go for these leasehold deals on sites which were completely, I mean, you know, detached homes on leafy avenues being sold on leasehold basis, completely, completely inexcusable. And it was at those points when I think, and I think also watching what took place at Grenfell, so not just government landlords, not just uh, private landlords, but government landlords, Mm. and a realisation amongst parliamentarians, of whom Michael obviously is one, that actually this is an industry that really, really needs a kick. Um, And you can kick it, you know, carefully, or you can, and because some parts of it have dragged their heels, um, I think that he's, he's felt it needs concerted pressure. Uh, and sometimes you have to make very crude signals, I think, in order to make them make the point known. So I, I understand the industry will be feeling, you know, as a whole, quite hard done by and particularly landlords in the context, for example, of the pandemic. Mm. And there is some ignorance there around politicians as a whole about you know, the nuances within the different players. But I think there's that frustration. I think politics ran out of patience with the 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 property developers because of all those incremental things um you know they were getting flack from the constituency about things that were not acceptable they were seeing flat denials from certain groups they were watching the terrible events of Grenfell and thinking you know actually there's a real there's some deep-seated problems here and it needs a really intense shake-up and of course what that means very often then is that people trying to do the right thing who are usually the majority get caught in that process as well and I, I i do understand that you know members of the british property federation and so on feel quite sore about the way in which landlords have been treated for example over rents during the pandemic my impression with michael is that he feels there's some reform in that sector that is needed and uh, he's not going to hesitate to deliver it and with with the team because we lee rowley is, is still being flagged up as as housing minister at, as we speak yes, as as we speak at, at the yes. time of speaking but we've got we've got the wild card haven't we which is that um we've had lucy fraser coming mm. in and she's this is something this is something that i thought was quite interesting and, and and we were talking about this before we hit record so let's let's do a quick recap but mm. um she's she's come in as minister of state and she's the only minister of state in that little group isn't she yes which makes yes. gives her seniority that's correct. Um, so Minister of State is the role just be, so I was Minister of State and it's the the level of minister just below cabinet. But you're right. So we spoke before about that. It's kind of it's it's the delivery. Yes. So it's, now, it's for you. I think Lucy's going to be Michael's uh, right hand woman. Um, I think they worked closely in the past. and I hmm. forget which department now, but that, that's probably about four, 400 reshuffles ago. <laughs> um, and she's bright. She's a, you know got a strong legal background. Um, I think she'll she'll be the driver there. Lee, I have to say, uh, has been very practical, very sensible, very purposeful. Um, I hope he'll have a, a, a role. I suspect he may be pushed more in the devolution area with the Secretary of State taking the lead. And actually, Lee would be very good in that regard. Um, so we'll wait and see. I think the other thing they've done quite wisely so in the, in the, uh, the Trust Administration and to a degree under Boris, um, the, you had a housing minister, but you also had a separate homeless uh, uh, yeah. minister dealing with homelessness. And that's fine. I mean, in my days, as we were discussing earlier, I was housing minister, but I had nothing to do with the planning system. 
And that was partly because Eric Pickles, my Secretary of State, wanted to allow me to focus on housing and local growth and not be drawn into individual cases where I may have mm. to call it in and stop it and creating a contradiction. So other ministers dealt with all the planning casework. So we'll see how how that is how that's done. And that will the portfolios will, I think, probably give us a clue as to Michael's priorities. Yes. I mean it would be it would be very strange to have a Minister of State and for them not to have the housing brief, wouldn't it? I mean, because that would that would well, massively yeah. that would that would be a statement, wouldn't it? That would be saying we are deprioritizing housing in favour of whatever it is that, yes, that is. Yes, don't forget the department brief. is the department for levelling up communities and um, housing and planning, and that includes the relationship with the um, uh, with the other parts of the union, so Scotland and yes. Wales. So Michael is the lead minister in that area, and that yes, well he's he's got a new title, hasn't he? I mean, as part of that, is it? Yes, it's minister the, for uh, intergovernmental Re- affairs, relations, or something. Or something. Yes, yeah, which is something yes. utterly nebulous. <laughs> yes, so uh, it, it passes all the possible civil service tests on that basis. Um, <laughs> uh, I would have thought, you know, certainly by the time. Uh, we're just dusting away our Guy Fawkes bonfires. I think probably it'll be sorted. Going back to Michael Gove, he was on the um, on the airwaves saying that the boring is back, wasn't he? That the yes, the, and the the dullness dividend, and you know the 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 narrative definitely was um, well, wasn't that an exciting little holiday that we had with his trust? But but now, <laughs> thank goodness, it's over, and and, yes. and you can. Is that a fair assessment? Do we think that anything is going to be dull? We've got we've got the autumn statement coming up, which is going to reveal the the 50 50 split between um, spending cuts and and tax increases. Yeah. Which you know that is going to be incredibly hard for yeah. quite a lot of the Conservative Party to to stomach the, the yeah, idea so of the tax rises, especially. I think it is going to be extremely difficult. I think by pushing it out a couple of weeks, the data that they'll use for making the final decisions will be more reflective of the calmer waters that we're in. And yeah. therefore, you know, it's it's a little bit like investments, isn't it? it? When things are going really badly, that's exactly the moment not to sell. If you can hold your nerve and just wait until things calm down, the chances are you'll get a better outcome. And I think um, also if you're an incoming government, an incoming prime minister, to have the most important financial announcements, which will shape everything you do, um, you know, four days after you've come into into number 10, is wiser just to put that out a couple of weeks, no more, and just have a chance to reflect on what you're trying to do overall, how that will be seen in the markets, whether it's realistic, how does that work in terms of fairness to those that are vulnerable or elderly or whatever? Um, you know, and, and and how do we how do we strike that path? I think that's wise. So yeah, I I, I think I, I think you, you talked about the dullness dividend. Mm. And it, it's one of those terrible political cliche kind of phrases which people use. But actually, in a funny way, you know, some people have argued that if you wait the two weeks, which they're going to. The fact that uh, the rates on gilts, for example, have now dropped back noticeably to where they were before the infamous mini budget in September um, means that actually you can now calculate on a much on a slightly rosier uh, prospect. So, I mean, my instinct is that there will be um, freezing on tax thresholds, but they'll do it for a slightly longer period. 
I think they'll be wary of doing too much sharp tax rises at the beginning of the process because the next 12 months is going to be tight anyway. And there's that balancing act between how do you draw sufficient revenue without you know, uh, strangling the golden goose to, again, take a metaphor perhaps beyond its best um, uh, function. You know, I've, I've felt ever since the pandemic that the question in the back of my head was, so how on earth are we going to pay for all of this? Yeah, you know, yeah. there was stuff they needed to do, and I was absolutely you know, clear in my mind that the furlough was needed and it needed to be quick. And that meant that if you do it quickly, more people get the money they need, but it also means that there'll be more money wasted. It's just a simple fact. So sometimes you have to bite the bullet and say, we need to act. That is the overwhelming priority. Off we go. Um, but at the end of the day, we'll have to pay for it. It's like everyone's credit card bill. You know, you can have a very nice Christmas, but at some point, you have to pay for it. And the longer you leave it, the more expensive it becomes. And, and we've, we've had that that um, issue of not only are we paying off the Christmas bill, but it's almost as though the cars exploded as well, isn't it? That, yeah. that you've, yeah. you've got the Ukraine crisis coming along. Yes. You've got the cost, the cost crisis. You know, everything is just happening so yeah. rapidly in, in, in sequence. Well, and I think if you took away the mini budget uh, scenario, we would be going in this direction anyway because mm. of the shift in energy prices and what was happening just before that already which was we were starting to see inflation uh, you know rise after a period of 10 years when essentially money was you know almost free to borrow you know 0.5 percent or whatever i appreciate that's not the case in mortgage holders they won't feel that was free but nevertheless we're now moving back into a period which for people in their 30s is unfamiliar in their working lives, which is a period now in which inflation and therefore interest rates, um, you know, are a, a, a regular thing to think about in terms of how you plan your life. In a sense, that's normality coming back. The problem has been that the impact of the energy crisis has made it a sudden process rather than what would I think everyone would have preferred been a gradual step, you know, by step over a couple of years and then we get back to where we are. So we're all having to grasp this you know, quickly, I, I think I think it will be difficult on the 17th of November, and I think well, there will be some painful decisions, but I don't think it will be as bad as it might have been. I, the other point is that people say, oh, well, you know, what spending cuts? The truth is you could, you could, you know, you could sort of halve the education budget or something like that, you know, something sort of crazy, and it probably wouldn't make a lot of difference. Um, so you're really looking at the, at the, at the welfare area, which principally is going to be around pensions, I think, and whether we are, you know, need to be quite as generous. I'm, I'm not a fan of the triple lock. I think it uh, is unreasonable that um, uh, we don't ensure that millionaires who are retired, even higher taxpayers, you know, should actually be pay paying their fair way. And, uh, and, and many of them say that as well. I mean, that's, yeah, that's not... Yes, yes. Mm. Yes, that's, that, that, that is true. What I always used to remember being at a dinner when somebody said, well, I don't mind paying more tax. And my treasury colleague got up and said, lovely, um, that you can make the check payable too, um, to which the man uh, quietly disappeared. But, you know, um, uh, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> well, let's let's have a look into that, because we've got we, we, there's a little bit of a, of, of a conflict, isn't there? Because things like the triple lock, which you mentioned, mm. um, are manifesto pledges aren't they they're, they're yes. 2019 manifesto and what rishi sunak has done because he he was never likely to be the unity candidate was he i mean there was too many people I, talking I, about i don't the, think the, that person exists yes no quite i i, I think you you said before that you know you 
you could only have a unity candidate if you had any sense of unity within the party. Was that was that yeah. you? Was that me? Um, I think I have I have made that remark. Yes, <laughs> I, I resemble that remark. Um, that idea yes, of going back to the 2019 manifesto. Yeah, I think it's basically saying, look, at the end of the day, the public ex uh, get, expect you to do what you promised to do at the last election. And there's unfinished business there, not surprisingly, mm. given the, the imposition of a, you know, of a pandemic slap at the beginning of a, of a yeah. you know, you, they get elected in December 2019 and we're into the pandemic in March 2020. So with with respect to, you know, some critics, um, no government would have made as much progress as they would like to. Here we are three years on. So, uh, yeah, I think he's right to say, right, we've got a manifesto. And also the, the other benefit of that is it's what the public expect, but it's also um, what you can legitimately say to your parliamentary colleagues. This is what we were elected on. So yes. let's go and deliver it. And I think that's that's right and proper. Um, it also means that the the uh, prospect of some form of, of reduction in spending and rises in taxes, you know, um, is going to cut across some of that. That mm -hmm. we've got to be clear. Um, and then there are some of the things that Liz Truss's uh, short term administration came out with uh, around investment zones and fracking yeah. and so on that clearly just have to be, you know, uh, dealt with quickly and promptly. And then you can get back to those areas uh, where we want to go. I think the interesting question is, from all of that, where will people prioritise and what will people, particularly reformers like Michael Gove, want to prioritise? Yes. Yeah. And that's that's an interesting point, isn't it? That, that the. The 2019 manifesto was in many ways incredibly generous, wasn't it? There was yes. the, for example, the levelling up fund, just to pick one, but quite an important one for, for our audience, that that's a £4.8 billion package and the, the first £1.7 billion tranche has been allocated, but mm -hmm. but only, I think it's a, I think it's £187 million has actually been dished out. And um, conversations that I was having, uh, the, the response was um don't ever count any money until it's actually in your pocket but well that's a generally it's being a, seen as low-hanging fruit do you think that's yes. that's a fair yeah. assessment yeah i mean i think the there's two aspects to this one is making sure that there are good funds particularly to smaller towns and communities that tend not to fit into the sort of traditional government programs yeah and secondly is to in my mind delegate uh, more of the resources around planning and transport and economic development uh, and allow local community leaders to put those budgets together and deliver what matters locally, place-based funding as it's called. Um, so having, instead of having, you know, if, if you're the district council or the city council or whatever, you apply to central government for funding on transport. That's one part and it will have one set of criteria. Mm. Then there'll be something on economic development with the same, you know, rules. And very often the two sets of rules won't fit together. And that's what drives you crazy. And they come at different time scales and so on. So running a project on the ground where, let's say, you're trying to put a tram system in, redevelop the, the, the tram station, put in, you know, affordable housing and some private housing and a new shopping centre or something like that on, you know, contaminated land. Let's just take that as a sort of stereotypical uh, thing. Then you end up finding that you've got four or five different government pots you've got to apply yeah. for. And actually what they want is the planning powers, the compulsory purchase powers, and they want a single budget to deliver the package as a whole to a timescale that works for them. And that, that you know, that is where I think Michael uh, gets this. Um, 
you know, he's he's a natural reformer. Um, he'll want to make sure that when you're not just giving a wadge of money to people who haven't actually got the capability of delivering these things. And that is, I think that's the, the trickier bit. But um, I think you'll see him push now on devolution uh, in mm. terms of powers, in terms of single budgets. He's going to have to persuade um, the transport department to be a little bit looser in that sense um, and maybe bays. But I, th I think that'll be an important part of what he wants to do alongside some other um, things. Obviously, the pursuit of the leasehold reform issue, um, the pursuit of the whole cladding um, question. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of other other areas I think will be quite interesting to look out for. But there was there was a, a, a moment when um, compulsory purchase reform was being looked at quite seriously by hang on. Now, let's let's get our governments right. So the <laughs> the. Uh, the caretaker government before the trust government that that was that yes. was being floated quite seriously that they, and, and so it seems some, that that might be coming back as as part of this because yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's I, revenue I think, positive for the treasury yes so the way i look at it is that greg clark was trying to he was in the caretaker role over the yeah. summer did a very good job in actually just saying right what's on the agenda that's been started let's finish these let's get these out the door so a major devolution bill a major devolution deal in the midlands some important planning progress pushing forward on some of the leasehold issues and so on then you had simon clark who was barely you know got his feet under the table for 10 minutes and before he'd gone and we're back to Michael Gove. So I think all those things that we were talking about, you know, eight weeks ago, 10, 12 weeks ago, uh, it's, you know, back to the future or forward to the past or whatever, but that's where we're going to be. So, so for example, um, I think on planning, we will see changes, but they'll be more incremental. Um, yeah. I get the impression that ministers get the argument that actually, if you just don't have enough planning officers, you just cannot service the number of planning applications that you need to. And so there's going to be a question about how you do that. That may be around planning fees. Mm -hmm. um, there may be a bit of innovation around that. I think that's a good area for the industry to push on. I, think I, I was hearing some talk on that with uh, the potential for using some sort of um, land value capture and then potentially yes, well, ring fencing part of that for, for planning departments which seems seemed i mean that seems a little bit like a, a lib dem idea really <laughs> well i always slightly uh, you know there's an all I, I have a sharp take of in breath whenever we, we the land value capture comes along because we've been around this block since the 1960s it even it predates only, I mean, it's, me it's, so it's, it's henry george way. isn't it? it's the henry george foundation back again with the original yeah, version yeah. of monopoly well there, there is a sort of an old you know idea which is that whatever your proposal for policy is one day it'll be relevant if you just keep you know, <laughs> bringing it back dusting it off and there's a, i'm sure there's an entire yes minister episode based on that but um i I, I, what I would say is, why can't we make planning gain simpler? You know, I was mm. never happy. I, I came into the housing uh, brief after they'd made the decision uh, and had pushed through the notion of not only having the sort of traditional Section 106 arrangements, but let's add on top SIL. Yeah. And I, my view was, no, surely to goodness we can come up with something that's a simpler system that is clear before you start so that developers can actually work out that it's going to be this percentage and they can put it on their their, their assessments of the viability of sites um, and that you have one lead authority and the, the, the total pot of money is agreed in principle and then that's ring fence, the development moves on. 
what the local authorities then choose to do with it in terms of bus lanes or school paths, whatever, that's for that's a separate thing and they can get on with it. But the notion of trying to itemise every part of this is just bonkers. And so obviously, as minister, that's that's what you introduced, isn't it? You introduced a very clear, simple in, system. And that's what we have today. Oh, hang on. Wait. Well, actually, <laughs> I was housing minister. And this comes to an interesting. I was housing minister, but I was never planning minister. Nick Bowles yes. had that job. So that was outside my brief, and I did I did chunter at some length about it, and got told to go back in my box uh, on several occasions. So I, yes, I failed uh, lamentably to persuade uh, the Colonel um, Bowles on that one. Um, and I, you know they they just implemented the bloody thing, so I think that was the the the, the challenge for it. But yeah, it, it, I just. You know, when people start talking about land cap value capture and so on and so forth, just think, why do we have to make these things more complicated? Mm. Um, and wasn't so, still was introduced it, to be simpler, wasn't it? I mean, that was the intention of it was it was meant to be incredibly simple. And yet even that's become sort of far more complex in its, yes. in its actual uh, operation. Well, in the moment it was introduced in addition to 106, yeah. it was all I, I just, you know, I said, well, I said various things, which probably not are not repeatable on a on a. <laughs> Before the before the watershed, as they say. Tune into office politics after dark for that after full dark. conversation. <laughs> yeah, we could do it. You know, maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> I, I do think um, one of the areas that is is coming up the agenda fast is uh, how the uh, housing associations and others uh, deal with um, retrofitting, particularly for the, mm. the environmental issues and building safety issues, and that's an area where we may see some more positive suggestions and ideas. Um, in terms of uh, any statements from Michael's department. So I think that is an area where um, there's a lot to do. Uh, the energy quotient obviously is run by Bayes, but the two together, not least through the Green Building Council and others, you know, there is an opportunity here to have a comprehensive approach to making it possible now for people to have the confidence to invest as a business, but also as homeowners or as uh, landlords to start thinking about uh, looking at a package of incentives, a package of deregulation to make it easier and quicker, and good sensible guidance for all the different types of buildings, whether it's buildings that are in conservation areas or you know uh, homes that uh, are suitable for heat pumps and so on and so forth. Personally, because I'm, I'm used to this process, um, I think that probably using the government's balance sheet, some form of loan guarantee scheme would make sense um, because they don't have extra cash. So what can you do? You could you can you can do a sensible low cost uh, loan guarantee scheme. What's needed is a clear long term path. This is going to take 10 or 15 years to do this. The notion that we're going to have all our houses uh, up to um, scratch in terms of EPC standards by yeah. 2030 or something is bonkers. Um, ain't going to happen. So, but what you need to do is you need to set a path and you need to show to people why it's actually very much in their interests to do this. And then you'll get buy-in yeah, and they they will then pull the thing. If you start trying to tell people thou shalt do this, you they'll say, great, who's going to pay for that then? And yeah. why should I do it? And what, you know, uh, you, you start getting resistance. The, the wisest thing is always to show, hey, you're missing out. And people people lean in and say, oh, really? Well, no, that will be that. And then you've got them. But that that does that does appear to be um, quite a shift from the the brief interlude of the Trust Administration, yes. where all of those environmental um, uh, guidances and so on suddenly became they were on very shifting sand, weren't they? Yes. I, I was talking to people who were saying they were now uncertain as to whether 
um, the EPC targets, the, certainly the, the deadline, whether that was even going to be there anymore. Um, I was talking to other people saying that it, was, it could be shifted, talking to, to still more saying that, that the deregulation was going to come with defunding and, and people just tearing mm -hmm. their hair out thinking mm -hmm. what's happening. Mm -hmm. Are we now in a position where where that's, you know, again, we've gone backwards. We can just kind of erase that bit from the timeline and say, as you were, whatever you thought was going on before Liz Truss became prime minister, that's pretty much what's going on now. But I think... And, and that will return some confidence. The approach now will be based on facts and, pra and, and pragmatic common sense, I would hope. Um, and that would be the, you know, looking at the people involved, that's 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 how I would see it. Instead of um, an ideological or passionate desire and believing that actually if you just sweep all of this away, you know, these things will automatically happen. There is a kernel of truth in some of the arguments, though, which is, you know, anybody involved in the planning process knows that the number of different statutory undertakers, to call them their, you know, the, the English heritage and Natural England and all the rest of the Environment Agency and all the rest of them, um, you know, it isn't just the local planning authority that causes problems for planning. Mm. It's the whole process of that consultation. And I always felt that there should be a, a lead authority and there should be a time limit um uh, by which they need to be involved and there also needs to be some sensible pragmatism i mean as a housing minister i should say that the uh, greater crested newt was one of my great um bugbears if a newt can be a bugbear um, <laughs> i'm picturing it now it's yes because there were several schemes in which in this country we, we i think we over engineer these things so there was a development which was to have a a, a light roadway going through the middle. And one of the uh, statutory undertakers had insisted that because there was evidence of the greater crested newt, the male newt on one side and the females on the other side, that they should be able to link through. And you might think, well, that's fine. Um, but the link through was a tunnel through which you could drive a range road. <laughs> now, maybe I haven't met the larger species of the greater crested newt, but I don't that, think that is the greater, greater <laughs> I don't know whether any of them, uh, you know, actually uh, own a Range Rover and indeed whether they go dating in a Range Rover. And we had this surreal conversation with them where they were insisting that this had to be the minimum height for the tunnel. And I just thought this is where we've lost. You know, we have really have. I had I did throw my toys out of the brand. It has to be said at that point. And so there is this what I'm I'm making these slightly facetious examples, but there is a kernel of truth, which is that I think the environmentalism needs to be sensibly balanced with the fact that more people need a roof over their head. But it, and it is possible to do to do the two, isn't it? I mean, if, you, if you if you apply something like biodiversity net gain properly, yeah. um, like some of the major house builders are saying you know, that this is something that they're now looking at really closely. They're they're really working out how to make it not only work, but work for them to, to make yeah. it you know, a, a, positive, a net positive for them as well. And that, that seems to be a better way of doing it, is, is to see yeah. how you can harness the the industry, harness the sector to to make positive changes, as opposed to sort of, you know, smothering them with, with bits of regulation. Now, I think in, in, in investment zones are an interesting one. Um, yeah. Michael's rightly said he wants to just take a step back and look at what those are going to be. I suspect. I mean, isn't it? You, may... You've been a minister. You must have. You must have said the. Um, oh yes, we're going to. We're going to look at that. We'll. Yes. We'll set up a commission. We'll. Yes. Uh, 
Yes, well, we'll get some really clever people together and, and look at that and report back, hopefully, when you've forgotten all about it. I mean, isn't that just a way of killing it? Gosh, Piers, you, I, I don't know what you mean about politicians. Um, <laughs> the, 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 that can be. The, the reviewing of it can be a, we're going to put in a, a very dark box in a, in a small cupboard in Aberystwyth and we'll look at it in a few de decades' time. It can be that. <laughs> it can also be, we like some of the ideas in it, but I'm not sure I like some of the... I mean, I didn't really understand. I don't think they'd worked out whether I never really understood from Simon Clark and, and from what Liz Truss said, whether this was about reviving areas that are in difficulties mm. or whether it was about helping those areas with great promise fulfill that promise. Yes. You know, and and in, in some cases, it seemed to be um, almost giving a bit of a reward to places that were doing incredibly well already and would stay much the same i mean that's yes. some some of the, the the names on the list were a little bit baffling from that point of view yeah and, I, and that's why what made me feel that they just need to be clear about what are they trying to achieve um i think there's a good argument for loosening uh areas that can succeed or loosening the regulations around that but focusing your time and effort on the areas that are in need um, so an investment zone might, I, I would say, see it within the context of levelling up. Uh, I would see it in the context of looking at um, some of the historic assets that have declined mm. uh, and saying, so what could we do with these? I wouldn't have too many of them. You know, the enterprise zones in the 80s, there are only really a dozen to start with, and that's probably about right. Um, so I think what Michael may do, I may be wrong, but he may want to just say, how many are we going to have? What are they really for? And therefore, what are the powers and rules and regulations and tax incentives that they actually really need? Um, and the other question, which I think is really important, is who is going to be running them? Mm. Um, because some of these were sort of straddling difficult uh, cross-border areas. Some of them were, it wasn't clear whether it was going to be the regional mayor or the city. And the critical thing the private sector needs is robust civic leadership on the other side. Absolutely. If you're in a partnership, if the other partner is somebody that you're not sure whether they understand the nature of what you're trying to achieve, it's not going to work. You know, and we, we have some good people, Ben Houchin, we have um, Andy Street, uh, I think Andy Burnham's doing a good role. Um, I think Mervyn Reese in, in as was, was a good leader. Mm. Um, you know, these are people. It's very good. I, I thought that I was going to have to chip in with a couple of, of other flavours of politician there oh, for a right, minute. Yes. But, but no, it's very, very good. Very ecumenical, Mark. It's wonderful. <laughs> you know, I mean, I work with Howard Bernstein, you know, I met yeah. Howard. And, and Howard's great because Howard's a let's get it done. You know, let's get it sorted. I don't care what rosette colour you wear. And that's my... When I'm coming to this, if I was coming to this as a minister, that would be my approach, which is to say, right, we've got a problem here. How can you, how you vote and how your locality vote, that's up to you. That's that's the relationship you have with your electorate. My job is to work with you to see how we can sort this out. Mm. And and Howard was very much like that. Andy Street is very much like that. Um, and those are the people we need. I wish the mayor in London was. You know, even Ken Livingston regularly met with developers and and. You need uh, uh, the mayor leading from the front in these situations, and, and it's a shame that in London we don't have that. With with investment zones, do you think that um, the review will happen and then potentially a pilot, or do you think the review will coincide with a pilot, or do you think if it's if it's going to happen, then then we'll have a review and then twelve of them? I think the final analysis will come down to how much Michael sees these as as flagship policies, mm. or whether he feels 
actually they're not going to get me to where I want to be and therefore won't fight the corner with Treasury. Because there will be a question mark here. Treasury, yeah. quite rightly, will be at the moment of saying we don't want any tax reductions in any areas. Come and explain to me why we should have anything. That'll be their position. And, so and if he's, he's, if he's always got, already got a fight on his hands to try and protect the, the levelling yeah. up budget. He'll, he'll be thinking, so I'm only going to have this amount of, you know, departmental expenditure. Uh, what, 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 how do I use that in the next year, 18 months? And if I feel that investment zones are going to spend six months being formed and that money's mm. going to be sitting, burning a hole in my budget, could I spend it more, more effectively, more quickly? Um, he may take a view that actually there's a simpler path here. And it may be that he says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the money into single budgets for six key city regions. I'm going to delegate the powers to them and let them get on with it. So we'll see. That, that I would think that is exactly the reason, one of the, one of the reasons why they've pushed the big financial push as discussion out to the 17th is because the new ministers coming in need to thrash that out. Yeah, I think I think you're right that the, the 17th is going to, it's going to be the big reveal, isn't it? I mean, it's not quite the season finale, but it's certainly the, the, the mid-plot twist. I think it'll be the mid-plot twist. I think then they'll almost certainly do a statement by the different departments in mm. the following days. Uh, and I would have thought Michael will be one of those. Transport will be another. Um, edu- education might be another one as well. It might be interesting. Well, there's been uh, some but, interesting talk about education and skills, hasn't there? There's, yeah. and, and it seemed a little bit that almost the... The um, the concept of levelling up was moving from being infrastructure and bits of kit, in other words, really expensive stuff that requires mm. steel and other things that yes. that double in cost overnight, to skills packages, localised yes. education programmes. I mean, is that is that possible that we could actually see a fairly stealthy and, and hopefully quite kind defunding of those infrastructure plans and retargeting with, with education? I think the overall infrastructure benefits are recognized i think some programs mm. will be will be pulled if they're just not able to you know justify themselves in the new climate and if you're going to level up it's not just about localities places it's also about people and making sure that people feel they are able to get the education the training the, the apprenticeships or whatever that they need wherever they live is actually really important you know you need the investment in kit but you also need the investment in people. But I mean, I suppose all this talk of all this talk of comebacks and um, mm. changing the the timeline and and um, doctors returning. Um, do you ever do you ever fancy that, Mark? I mean, do you ever think, oh come on, maybe, maybe just one more go? I think I, I, any ex politician would always say, I think. There are days when you think, God, I wish if only they knew what you know. We should be doing this, and why can't we be doing that? And then you quietly remember all the other things that go with it. And actually, you know, I'm able to have a relatively normal uh, life now. I can choose who I work with and what I do and focus on that. And with being a serving constituency member, there's enormous pressures and so on. So, yes, occasionally. But then I, you know, I, I had my go and I would it would have been nice to have two years. Thank you, David. Um, as housing minister, just the year wasn't quite enough, but there we go. Uh, that's life, you know. I think the the lesson from that is make make the best of what you've got. Excellent advice. And on that note, that is sadly all we have time for. Join us again in about a month's time for another episode of EG's Office Politics, or as I like to think of it now, the Prisk and Piers political powwow. Until then, goodbye.